Hello, everyone, and welcome to A Ball with Eric Os. I am Eric Os, and it's good to have you with us this week as we'll be talking with one of the Lumber Kings pitchers, a reliever, a starter in Tanner Andrews. He was the 10th round pick by the Miami Marlins back in 2018 out of Purdue University, a Rochester, Indiana native. We'll be talking with Tanner as we record this on June the 3rd, a Monday, which is the first off day for the Lumber Kings since. Mother's Day on May the 12th, breaking up a three-week stretch of baseball for the Lumber Kings. It is their largest stretch of baseball without a day off. There were some rainouts in there, but still, you still had to report to the yard, so it was not an off day, and that's why the Lumber Kings, I'm sure right now, are either sleeping or, in the case, I think, of Tanner Andrews and Connor Scott, they are headed out to Chicago, just about a two-and-a-half-hour drive here from eastern Iowa on the banks of the Mississippi. Well, the Lumber Kings, despite that off day, they're coming into the off day with a series win over the Kane County Cougars. They are now 28-27 and 27 on the season, one game over 500. The Cougars, the single-A affiliate of the Arizona Diamondbacks, a very good team who are 30-26 and 26 on the season. But the Lumber Kings in this three-game series that had just finished here at Nelson Corp Field in Clinton, it was an impressive run for the Lumber Kings in which we saw J.D. Osborne have another home run. He had homered in three straight games for his first, first three home runs of the season. It was pretty impressive, too, to see the Lumber Kings then hold on for a 2-1 to one win on Sunday, which was phenomenal pitching from Alberto Guerrero, one of the Lumber Kings starters, and he has been very sharp this year at times. He has had issues when it comes to being hit rather hard. Guerrero had given up 10 hits a couple of starts ago back on May the 10th in Bowling Green. That the single-A affiliate of the Tampa Bay Rays. Also had nine hits surrendered against or hit against him in his second timeout in the season back in April. So the hits that Guerrero had allowed coming into this start were 23 on this season. As we mentioned, hit hard at times, but he was incredibly sharp. It was easily his best start of the season on Sunday afternoon. He went seven shutout innings for the Clinton Lumber Kings. Unfortunately, though, would get a no decision for Alberto Guerrero. He's a fun guy to watch. He's got a great slider, especially to right-handed hitters. It is something that he will use for his strikeout pitch. And even though the strikeouts weren't incredibly high for Guerrero in that start, the only blemish for him were the walk. At times, he can also get the proverbial wild hair up his nose, as they say, lose command of the strike zone. He did issue four walks, but he limited the damage, kind of had a Houdini act in the third inning of a scoreless tie because that was the type of game that was played in which the bases were loaded against him with only one man out, and it looked like the Cougars were destined to strike first in that game where runs were at a premium, and then he struck out the next two batters. It was part of the few strikeouts that he had, and he needed a most. That's when he got them. Lumber Kings would win that game in the eighth inning thanks to Gerard Encarnacion's great base running. He would walk, he would move to second on a wild pitch, he would then take third on a fly out to center and score on a Sean Reynolds sacrifice fly, and that was a Lumber Kings game winner on Sunday. A team that at times has had trouble stringing it all together, but a series win is certainly appreciated, keeping them above the 500 mark at 28-27 and 27 on this season. Tanner Andrews, who we'll be talking with on this episode, he had a great outing out in Wisconsin his last time out. He's been piggybacking in the Lumber Kings starting rotation with Jake Walters, the University of Alabama product. And what Andrews had done, and we'll talk about it on the interview, but when we saw him in Wisconsin, the Lumber Kings, they were getting beat really bad. They were swept by the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers. That's the single-A affiliate of the Milwaukee Brewers. And it the seventh or in the first inning of the final game of that series, that's when Andrews was expected to piggyback the start of Walters. Well, Walters could not make it through the first. He went just a third of an inning, allowed seven runs. Lumber Kings would then have to go to Alex Vessia to get him through 
just kind of to bridge that gap to Andrews, which he did, and then he came in in the third inning and was lights out. Andrews with six shutout innings for the Lumber Kings. Unfortunately, though, those seven runs in the first would prove too much to overcome. That was part of a 5-7 to seven loss and series sweep in Wisconsin. That the Lumber Kings, it was an ugly series, and I would say probably their ugliest of the season when you look at a game in which they allowed 32 total hits between the two teams on the second meeting of that series because the Lumber Kings had put up 11 runs they would lose then 13 to 11 they allowed a pair of five run rallies in that frame or in that ball game which was a barn burner and a long one it was the longest game of the season it lasted over four hours to get us through those I think it was 24 total runs 13 to 11 was our final score out in Wisconsin it was a long one unfortunately for the Lumber Kings a series sweep the first on the road that had come and first on the road all season long for the Clinton Lumber Kings, but Andrews was very sharp in that. Allowed the Lumber Kings to come from behind a bit, and that's when the J.D. Osborne home run train had begun. He had his first home run of the season out in Wisconsin, hit his second home run of the season the following day, took the first day off of the series at home against Kent County, and then homered again in the next outing. We had him on the pregame show, and what J.D., the Canadian native, was telling us that he was mainly a hockey player, and that he just kind of did baseball on the side for a summer thing and then he got a better opportunity in baseball so here he is did describe his hockey style as a bruiser he said he liked to hit the guys and get the boys fired up is how he described it on our pregame show it's good to see JD's bat coming alive for the Lumber Kings as he has been one of the hottest Lumber Kings as of late it's not just been the three home runs for Osborne he is also in his last five games batted 545 over his last 10 games the average then plummets to 421 but another big bat for the Lumber Kings. He's really been the backup for Will Banfield behind the plate, who just continues to be a very impressive defensive catcher. But Osborne has now been receiving some more playing time, either as a DH or as a first baseman. We've seen Sean Reynolds then move down into the DH role, because when it comes to the running game, there is no one quite like Will Banfield. He has caught 27 would-be base stealers in 44 attempts on this season. That is a success rate of 613 on the year. Meanwhile, J.D. Osborne, he has had 20 stolen base attempts against him this season, and they have all been successful. He has not thrown out a base stealer this season. And that's what Osborne said. He goes, I am not a defensive weapon. It's more of an offensive approach at the plate. At least that's what you get from Osborne, and that bat has certainly come alive. But on the catching court, a bit of a different, an easy study in contrast to see between the two catchers for the Clinton Lumber Kings. Also, big bats from Gerard Encarnacion. He had kind of become a victim of his own success when we talked to you last when his average had dropped below the 300 mark because Encarnacion, as Mike Jacobs, the manager, had described it, was a young guy who thought at one point he could hit everything. And Encarnacion looked like it. He was swinging at everything. And the strikeouts began to pile up. The average then went down. Carnacion is far more selective now at the plate. He walked three times in Sunday's win over the Kent County Cougars and, of course, scored the winning run of that game without a hit. And because of Encarnacion's patient and more selection at the plate, being more selective. He is batting 476 over his last five games, 400 over his last 10 games, and the average is now back up over the 300 mark. That's what Jacobs had said, that he just needed to kind of get back to the way the season had started, being more selective, and that has turned into another hot stretch for Gerard Encarnacion, which is really a, a time to put the whole Midwest League on notice when that's the case. He has been a run producer from day one, has been in the middle of the lineup really since day one and is back to what he had done at the beginning of the season. 
wanted to highlight one more other player for the Clinton Lumber Kings, and that would be Connor Scott. He had the most dramatic win of the season for the Clinton Lumber Kings on Friday night. You may have seen it on the Twitter sphere, on our Twitter feed, because Connor Scott, he had the walk-off home run on that night. It was part of a three-hit performance for Connor, so we've seen his average steadily climb as well. Over his last five games, Scott batting 412, 306 over his last 10 games. His home run was his third of the season, and the Lumber Kings also had inserted him down into the three spot on Sunday's game, putting him in the middle of the lineup where Connor has typically been the leadoff hitter here in Clinton. See if that is a theme that will continue when the Lumber Kings resume action on Tuesday here at home against the Cedar Rapids Colonels. But that hot stretch for Connor Scott, remember, he was on the interstate. He was in the 100s for the better part of the first two months of the season. His average, it is continuing to creep up. 225 now on this season, three home runs and 18 RBIs as we record this on Monday, June the 3rd. And and that is also for Connor Scott come with a 296 on base percentage, a 353 slugging percentage. And as we mentioned, moving into the three spot for the Clinton Lumber Kings, we'll see as the lineup card has kind of been fluctuating a little bit lately. Also, it'll be interesting to see exactly how the team will be impacted by the Miami Marlins draft, which, as we record this, is happening right now. And the Marlins, who will be drafting fourth overall, that means that some of the people that will be taken over the next couple of days will likely be coming here to Clinton during the second half. Sort of that busy time, although we do not have any All-Stars to report to you as of yet. We imagine that will be changing for our second episode. We'll be back with Tanner Andrews, who joins us here on A-Ball with Eric Ost to talk about the development, the close routes to a small town in Indiana, and, of course, the path of choosing baseball for a three-sport athlete in his native Indiana. Tanner Andrews joins us next here on A-Ball. And welcome back on A-Ball with Eric Ghost. We're now joined with one of the Lumber Kings pitchers, a reliever, a starter, Tanner Andrews. Thanks for taking the time here to talk with us. Yeah, thank you for having me. We are recording this, we should say, on Sunday, June 2nd, after the Lumber Kings just took a series from the Kane County Cougars. But when talking with Tanner Andrews, last time we had seen you was out in Wisconsin, which was a six-inning performance against the Timber Rattlers, the single-A affiliate of the Milwaukee Brewers, really saving the day for the Lumber Kings. There were a lot of big innings in that series, kind of steadying the contest for them. Turned out to be a loss, but allowed the Lumber Kings to creep back in that game. What was working for you, and I guess what was a relief start for you? Yeah, it was uh, it was a piggyback day, so I was scheduled to the back end of that game, and uh, things didn't go as planned early in that game, so I knew I had a chance to go in sooner, and uh, he radioed down and said I'd have the third. So I just prepared like it was a start. Uh, I got ready in a bullpen with uh, Banfield. Uh, he gets me ready. He gets me ready to go uh, into the game, and uh, really just had to uh, take the hitters uh, one by one, and uh, I feel like their hitters were really aggressive, so they were getting a little too comfortable in the box, hunting the fastball away, going the other way. They did a really nice job of uh, going the other way with fastball. So uh, we had to mix uh, not only speeds, but we had to mix in, out, up, down, different quadrants just to get them uncomfortable in the box a little bit. Um, so my fastball command was pretty good that day, and then uh, 
mixing in the, the splitter and the uh, slider was really good for me, too. And you, you mentioned the aggressiveness of that lineup because, I mean, Bryce Terang probably is the first name that, you know, pops out on that list. He was taken in the first round, and he was playing like a first-round pick in that series. I think he had an average around 750 over those three games. What Was there any specific way you wanted to attack him? You mentioned the aggressiveness, and obviously he was one of them having singles all over the place. But what did you go into with that chess match and, and facing Terang in those instances out in Wisconsin? Yeah, definitely. It's uh, it's a challenge, and he's a really good hitter. And uh, those are the moments as a pitcher you really want. You want to get that guy out. You want to be able to say, I, I got his number. But uh, I don't know if I, I could say I got his number, but he, uh, I just really, like I said, got to get him off the plate. He was a guy that uh, was going the other way really well, um, but also could get his hands around and pull the ball. <coughs> and uh, so sometimes you got to go even in off the plate a little bit. And uh, so that's what we did. We went in first strike uh, went in a little further um, just tried to make him uncomfortable I uh, wasn't trying to hit him or anything but just going in off the plate uh, moving his feet is what we call it as a pitcher and then go the other way soft or uh, go hard and see just just really read the hitter read the read the takes um, and that's what we did and you mentioned getting warmed up too by Will Banfield it's uh, a person that we talk obviously quite a bit about on the broadcast because he's a catcher that's known for the defensive skills that he has what is that like as a pitcher? Because the game he calls, we know what he can do on the running game, right? There's not a whole lot going on with the running game because he's throwing about just about everyone who runs against him. But what kind of game does he call? How is he as a receiver for a pitcher? Yeah, absolutely. He's a, he's a great talent. Um, it's fun to throw to him and J.D. both. In Wisconsin, I threw to J.D., and I love throwing to J.D. We kind of have the camaraderie from last year. Uh, um, but it was cool to have Will to get me ready in the bullpen. He would uh, set up, when I'd go glove side, he'd set up off the plate and I'd, I'd try to get it there and uh just the little adjustments he makes to get the pitchers ready uh, to, whether to get arm side or to get glove side uh, uh is pretty fun and obviously like you mentioned he is he's a cannon so and you mentioned too is kind of a uh, piggyback start we've seen you kind of flip-flop that role with uh, Jake Walters who is in the Lumber King starting rotation as well what goes into the preparation you mentioned kind of treating it like a start but after seven runs are scored in the first inning I'm sure it doesn't feel quite like that because the house was on fire so to speak but is there anything extra any different preparation that might go into that when you're piggybacking a start as opposed to going out there to start the game oh uh, no absolutely not every time you go in as a pitcher you just kind of want to get in there and compete um and execute your pitch, um, whether it's the ninth inning or the first inning. You just want to execute one pitch at a time, and uh, um, if you execute your pitch, you're pretty good odds. And where did uh, this season start for you? Because obviously you weren't with the Lumber Kings for opening day. You came with the Lumber Kings out in May. So how did it start for you and your road to Clinton here in 2019? So I started spring training as a reliever, and uh, I threw really well throughout spring training. And by the end of spring training, I saw the list, and I was on the extended list. I was frustrated with that. Um, but when I met with Mahalik, the pitching coordinator here with the Marlins, uh, he just said, we're going to transition you back into a starter. Um, we really like the way you've thrown. So that was, that was a positive for me. And I, I stayed in extended for a little bit, uh, built up innings, and then spent a few days in Jupiter High. I got a relief appearance there, actually. And uh, a few days later, they sent me here. And uh, it's been fun. There's a great group of guys here, uh, great camaraderie, great fun not only on the field, but outside the field with, with, the, with the personalities and the team we have here. Yeah, I think that's a, a common theme for the Lumber Kings is just uh, everyone getting along, too, because uh, it's a common theme that we say we hear from other people on the podcast. This is our 10th episode, so it, it's something that we hear pretty regularly. You mentioned being starting the season in uh, extended spring training where he had been assigned a little frustrated. What was going into the work to get over that frustration to, to get here to Clinton that you felt like you had to prove? You mentioned maybe extending the innings a little bit, but what was something that you focused on that you 
thought was going to get you to a full season team, which is where you are right now with the Lumber Kings. Right, absolutely. I mean, uh, Extended's not really the place anybody strives to be. That obviously everybody wants to be in the big leagues, um, and Clinton's a stepping stone for that. Um, but really, just being consistent, um, being consistent every day, every catch play, every time I step on the field, whether it's practice, whether it was a game, uh, just really being consistent with both my fastball and my off-speed pitches, and. Uh, uh, even my delivery, we broke down my delivery a little bit, cleaned some things up um, to make it where uh, I could be more consistent. And I I didn't have to work as hard to create velocity or to get the pitch uh, down in a way like like I, like I would like to. So, I mean, it was, it was a good um, process for me. Yeah, at the time it was frustrating. But at the same time, I learned a lot through the process, got some one-on-one work. And uh, I feel like it really made me a better pitcher in the long, in the long run mentioned uh, starting as a, a reliever with the uh, out in extended spring training you come back into the the starting role and, and being extended out over that time when we had Humberto Mejia out in Dayton it was kind of interesting to see because he was piggybacking starts early in the season and then the Lumber Kings were getting blown out in this game in Dayton and then he comes on in relief and we saw the fastball get up to like 95 he really just let it fly so what is the difference in, in that from a starting perspective sometimes you hear about guys having to maybe hold back a little bit conserve some energy to you know have the stamina to go through several more innings as opposed to just letting it fly right out of the bullpen was that something that you may have had to refine a little bit and in getting into those starting roles yeah absolutely I mean when you're a back-end guy when you're eighth ninth inning guy you can come in and just let it fly throw throw everything you have at them all your pitches uh, whatever you need to get in out as a starter you kind of I don't really want to say hold back a little bit but you you're not max effort on on every pitch maybe you have a pitch where uh, you run it up there a little more effort-wise, but uh, really you just want to stay consistent, um, and you want to maybe, as a, as a starter for me, one thing I like to try to do is maybe save my, my put-away pitch for the second time through when I really need it. Uh, that, that's not always the case. Sometimes you get yourself in situations where there's a runner on base, there's a runner in scoring position. Maybe it's the first inning, and you're going to you're gonna go to your out pitch. Um, but just kind of ideal as a starter, maybe you can get to the first time with your fastball on your slider, fastball or your changeup, whatever you need to do, but... Um, I'd say it's a little different, but at the end of the day, it's really just competing, uh, competing to execute each pitch, whether it's a 0-0 pitch or an 0-2 pitch or 2-0 pitch. You just got to execute, um, and as a pitcher, the odds are in your favor. And what's that out pitch for you, too, when you really need – I guess it changes day by day, right, what the feel is, but I guess on most days, what would it be, the pitch that you would need for an out you'd go to? Uh, I mean, it really depends on the hitter, like you said. Uh if it's a righty or a lefty, if he's got a longer swing, a quick swing, what, whatever it is. I mean, I pitch off my fastball a lot, so a fastball is my go-to pitch. And then I, uh, I like I like the slider at times. I like the splitter at times. And I, I'm getting more feel for the changeup, too. So it, it really just depends on the situation, reading swings, and trusting my catcher. Well, single A here in uh, the Clinton Lumber Kings, so that usually means development, right, for the guys that are here with the Lumber Kings. I guess today we should say the Clinton Elotes because it was part of the Copa yeah. de la Diversion. Great look, too, if you haven't seen it. But for the Lumber Kings, too, and the development that comes along with it, you mentioned maybe a goal early on. You didn't say it specifically as a goal, but you wanted to get to a full-season affiliate, which you have done battling through some adversity. What were some goals that you came into this season that you're still trying to work on, pitches or just uh, in-game mentality that you want to be at towards the end of the season that you're still working on here in the early parts of June? Really just getting comfortable with all my off-speed pitches, being able to throw the, the slider or the changeup. 2-0 is, is big. I mean, if you watch big league games, uh, you can't 100% say a fastball is coming in any count. Um, and that's and that's pretty that's pretty cool to see, and it's pretty hard to hit. I mean, as a hitter, if you can't sit on one pitch, um, 
It's pretty tough. When they're when the hitters can start eliminate pitching pitches is when uh hitting gets easier for them. Uh so if it's 2-0 and I can throw a changeup in there then uh then I'm heading in the right direction. So that's just one thing I'm working on uh and then obviously there's always room to grow with your fastball, your command, uh getting ahead of hitters and ultimately my goal every time I go out there is to give my team the best chance to win. Um so whether that's uh runner on third and you need to punch out or whether it's just getting early contact pitching deep into games and saving the bullpen we're talking here with tanner andrews one of the lumber king starting pitchers a question that i'm always interested to hear about because at the single a level here with the lumber kings in the midwest league we hear a lot from pitchers they're working on the changeup. so what is something why is that a pitch that takes some refining when you get into the professional ranks to throw it consistently that you're trying to do right you mentioned commanding those off-speed pitches so why is the changeup one of those more difficult pitches to throw uh, I think if you ask any almost any hitter, the hardest pitch in baseball to hit is the changeup. Uh, so it makes sense, right? Yeah. Because hardest to throw, hardest to hit. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know. Some guys just have a knack for it. Tyler Mitzel has an unbelievable changeup, and that's his pitch. Uh, uh, there's other guys, the big league guys, have an unbelievable changeup, and they just that's something they've thrown and they have feel for. Uh, for me, I just learned the changeup last year. I never threw one, so uh, uh, learning it last year and just bringing it into this year, I'm getting more and more comfortable every time I throw it. Um, so that that's something that's positive for me and something that I'm growing in as a pitcher. Um, and, I mean, when it, it's a pitch that's made to look like your fastball. So uh, these hitters are so talented. They can hit 95-mile-an-hour fastballs. They can hit 99-mile-an-hour uh, fastballs if you watch the big league. So when you have the change up to really get them in between pitches, that's, when it, well, that's what makes your fastball better um, and then also – you have the change up and it makes your other pitches better as well. What were some of the breaking pitches that you were working with before you added the change up to your repertoire? So I, uh, I was a fastball slider um, and a split finger guy. Um, I watched John Smoltz growing up. Okay, I, that makes sense. And I loved, I loved John Smoltz and his split finger. And I have really, really big hands, really long fingers. So it's a pitch that kind of came naturally to me uh, when I started pitching. Um, so it's just something that, that I have. I know it's kind of a weird pitch. Not a lot of people throw it. Um, but it, it's kind of something I take pride in. So from Indiana, but were you a Braves fan then growing up, watching John Smoltz? I was a Braves fan, yes. My dad grew up in Kissimmee, Florida, which is where the Braves stream, spring training was was at for a long time. I believe they just moved to Sarasota or somewhere down there. But um, So, yeah, my dad was a Braves fan growing up and kind of watched the game. So me and my brother, as his son, grew up as a, as a Braves fan. Well, you had to be a pitcher then, right? Because those are the big 90s pitching staffs of the Braves. I mean, you've got Maddox, you've got Smoltz, and even further back you could go with Avery, too, and Glavin, of course. Yeah, you've of got course. four Hall of Famers right yeah. there. So if you would have gone to be hitter, that would have meant you weren't paying attention to the games, right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. I I really love Chipper Jones, too, though. So. That's true, yes, of course. They're, I mean, they had some guys who could produce runs. That's how you win World Series, as they did in 1995. We're talking here with Tanner Andrews, one of the Lumber Kings relievers and also starter, mainly a started because it's been the piggyback experiences that we've seen from them for the Lumber Kings early on. Mentioned you're from Indiana. Was it baseball just exclusively growing up or were there other sports that you had played as well? No, absolutely not. It was uh, I was a three-sport guy all the way through high school. Uh, baseball, basketball, and football. Uh, okay. At times even a lot of people from my high school would say baseball is my third sport. Wow. So, uh, so I mean, how did that come about? Uh, Nick Whitgren actually uh, Purdue pitcher, um, Miami former Miami Marlins pitcher. Uh, he, I met him my senior year of high school. His uh, junior college coach was from Fort Wayne, Indiana, which is close to where I'm from. Um, and I played summer ball 
uh, Matt Kennedy knew my family. That's his JUCO coach, and uh, he's putting on a clinic, and I ended up staying and throwing uh, with Whitgren, and it just kind of went from there. Was baseball something that you really liked maybe more so than basketball or football, or did that come later on and maybe, you know, that meeting that you mentioned uh, pushing you in that direction as you go on to Purdue? Uh, I mean, I love all the sports. I still love the sport, all three. I miss them, football and basketball. I Every time I go to the Y, <laughs> grab a basketball and shoot around a little bit. Don't tell Amanda hey, that. But secret safe with us, although we will say the podcast is released publicly. Oh, oh. <laughs> Sorry, Amanda. But, uh, yeah, I mean, my dad played ba- baseball in college. My brother played baseball in college. He's older than I am. And uh, so it's something that, as a family, we all we all loved. Um, but the other sports were, were loves of mine, too. What positions did you play in football and in basketball? Uh, football, I was uh, I was receiver mainly. I uh, played a little running back, a little quarterback, and then on the defensive side, like a safety linebacker uh, combo. It's so interesting to hear because you, sometimes when you watch MLB Network, I think Harold Reynolds talks about it a lot, that you know baseball, when you go into the travel ball type of stuff where it gets really competitive, that a lot of the kids have to really commit early on to just that one sport. And Harold Reynolds never wants to hear anything about it because he thinks those sports build a, rel- a well-rounded athlete. Was that something that you might have agreed with, right, too, in having that influence of basketball and football early on? Yeah, that's absolutely correct. Uh, I feel like each sport helps you – in another sport in some way um my basketball coach in high school he was a guy that he thought maybe three was too many uh he was a hall of fame coach all-time winningest coach in the state of indiana um bill patrick and i I learned a lot of him from the mental side um but he he knew me and my family well enough to know that i wasn't going to give up uh football and baseball so he, he embraced it and uh football helps quickness obviously lateral speed explosion uh baseball's more mental basketball athleticism i mean uh you you can go on for days about what each sport helps you with but uh, it was really fun uh just playing all three with my friends uh from back home and um i feel like it really helped me as an athlete um and made me the the athlete and the person i am today so you get out of high school, you had three sports, as you mentioned, football, basketball, and baseball. You then go to Purdue. What was that moment like when you find out that you're continuing that career into Purdue, which is a pretty good baseball program as well, which means that you're really focusing on baseball. Must have been a tough decision too, but an exciting decision that was made. What part did the parents and the friends and family play in making that decision for you too, and what a big moment that was? Yeah, it was an awesome moment. I know, I've known for, I knew before I went to Purdue that I, I, it was Purdue. I, I took a visit there my freshman year, and that was a that was a school I wanted to go to. I just felt at home there more than so than anywhere else. Um, and um, if you ask my mom, she'd be really relieved that I chose baseball because football scares her a little bit. And football was the way I was leaning all the way up until uh, January of my senior year of high school. And uh, um, my parents just supported me and told me to do what my heart says and uh, what. I, we prayed about it and prayed about it, and I, I just felt led to play baseball. And the Purdue program, can you give us a synopsis of what that was like in your baseball development? Obviously a pretty successful one because you get drafted early on by the Marlins, but what was that like in the uh, Purdue baseball program? Yeah, absolutely. Just giving me a chance to, to pursue a lifelong dream. Every kid grows up wanting to be a professional baseball player, a professional football player, whatever it is. Uh, and just giving me the opportunity, the next step to – to be able to, to accomplish that uh, was, was awesome. It was Coach Schreiber when I first got there, and Coach McIntyre uh, really helped me. And that was when I first really started pitching as well. Um, and they helped me develop not only as a person, but as, or not only as a player, but as a person off the field. It's the first time away from home. Uh, it really 
that I feel like that's when you really have to grow up and uh, separates a lot of people from who who can handle it and who can't. Uh, and then we had a coaching change uh, to Coach Wazikowski and pitching coach Holm, uh, who's now co- just won uh, or didn't win yet, but uh, just beat Louisville at the regional. He's uh, one game away from a super regional. So good luck, Coach Holm, Coach Crancer, that's great. Ross Lerner, and the rest of the Illinois State Redbirds. But um, he took the Redbirds job this past offseason. Um, so that's exciting for them. Uh, Ross Lerner is an old teammate, and Wally Crancer is also a coach at Purdue. So i uh, really rooting for the Illinois State Redbirds this weekend. Um, but, yeah, to go on, Coach Waz and Coach Holm really just uh, elevated me from a, a college player to somebody that could go on, um, just really getting me in the best shape physically, mentally, and uh, just uh, really taking the time and devoting their time into me and uh, helping me get to where I'm at. So, I mean, Purdue uh, was a great spot for me. Uh, obviously, always going to hold a special place in my heart and uh, – um, is the reason why I'm here today. Taken in the 10th round out of Purdue, another big moment too, right? There are milestones along the way. You choosing baseball, going into Purdue, you then getting drafted out by the Miami Marlins in the 10th round. Early in the draft, what was that moment like? I imagine your mom, you said, excited that you went the baseball route so you, her son wasn't being hit anymore on a football field. Imagine very excited too to see that decision be rewarded, right, at the professional level by the Marlins. Who was all there with you when you'd found out you'd been drafted? Uh... Well, it was my it was my my mom, my brother, and my my dad, um, and also my girlfriend at the time, um, and my cousin. So I mean, it was it was a really awesome moment. It was surreal, um, and dream come true not not only for me but for my family. My brother, like I mentioned, is older than me, and he if you ask my if you ask my parents today, they probably said the best baseball player growing up was my brother. Uh, he didn't get the opportunity. He battled some injuries, but uh, without a doubt, he he was good enough to play at this level. Uh, so it's it's not only awesome for me, but it's awesome for my family. Uh, really, growing up with my brother two years apart is, is something that we both dreamed of, and kind of being able to live it out uh, for me and for him is pretty awesome. Seems like it's full circle, right? Because you met your mom and your dad. I'm sure they're taking you to practices early on too. So there's that sacrifice and the investment that kind of pays off. And what was the the coaching reception like? You mentioned being close with coaches in high school and also at the Purdue level. I'm sure they were pretty excited too to find out that they had a pitcher that was going to be pitching professionally as well. Yeah, absolutely. From my high school coach and my young travel ball coaches, uh, coach Ray Moon out of Fort Wayne, Indiana. Uh, he had, played in the minor leagues uh, with the Reds for a while and uh, he coached me from the time I was 10 years old and he told he told my parents that when I was 12 that I'd play professional baseball someday and uh, they kind of didn't tell me right away they didn't want me to get an ego or whatever but they told me later on and uh, Raymond's one of the people that I'm super grateful for um, my high school coaches my high school teammates um, really my hometown they really ra- rallied around me especially uh as the draft got closer, uh, and uh, I'm pretty active in the the little league. When I went home in the off season, I w- I would uh, umpire in the little league, or uh, so just I come from a small hometown, and they just really rallied around me. I get texts daily from uh, from my hometown, and it's pretty awesome to community support which uh, is kind of rare if you come from a bigger town right and so that's it's pretty neat and unique too to uh, Tanner Andrews well as we mentioned you weren't here for the Lumber Kings on opening day which meant you could not fill out our questionnaire so we like to end with a nice light-hearted question although it may be the most difficult of the entire interview Tanner who is your celebrity crush Whew. celebrity crush man I don't know this one uh 
I I'm gonna have to go with Carrie Underwood. Okay. I've been watching a lot of playoff hockey and uh, the Preds and. That makes a Eric lot of sense. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So. I, yeah. I, his his wife Carrie Underwood is. is yeah. Per, first of all, a great person, but also very. <laughs> very gifted yes good looking <laughs> <laughs> in that department well that's Tanner Andrews thanks so much for taking the time here to talk with us on A-Ball with Eric Oz. thank you thank you for having me And welcome back on A-Ball with Eric Ose. You just heard from one of the Lumber King starters, really, because the bullpen outings for Tanner Andrews have been the piggyback starts. And you talked, and we heard about that path for Tanner Andrews coming out from extended spring training, really stretching him out in order to take that role. So a big thanks to him for taking some time to talk with us on Sunday after the Lumber Kings as the Clinton Olotes had beaten the Kane County Cougars. Tanner Andrews was then off to enjoy the Lumber Kings' first off day in three weeks. Well, we go over the roster moves for the Clinton Lumber Kings as we try to keep you abreast of all the moving in and out. We were thinking about getting Demetrius Sims on the podcast, and then that that decision was made for us by the Miami Marlins as he was no longer here. Demetrius Sims earning a promotion, becoming the third Lumber King to be called up to the High A Jupiter Hammerheads as part of a corresponding move. Bubba Hollins was then activated from the injured list. Remember, he was batting 358 at the time of his injury back on May the 2nd, so it's good to see Holland's back in the lineup. He has been, he gave us a little bit of a scare at one point. He came out in the game on Friday and then was not in the lineup on day, but was right back in the lineup for the Lumber Kings win on Sunday. So appears to be all right. Just some precaution taken for the Lumber Kings. They also then had a roster move on the first day of June the 1st. It was Cam Baird being sent down to extended spring training and Zach Wolf being activated from the injured list. So the Lumber Kings right now becoming a bit of a healthier team. They've still got Manuel Rodriguez on the, on the injured list. And that is it when it comes to the Hurt Lumber Kings, which at a time there were four different players on the injured list. So that has changed a little bit. Davis Bradshaw, who has been in the Lumber Kings lineup since his arrival here to the team back on May the 24th when John Gunther had earned his promotion up to the Jupiter Hammerheads. He has been a, a speedy, fun outfielder to see. He's primarily been out in left field for the Lumber Kings, a guy that had batted last season 376 with the GCL Marlins over 27 games, then was promoted to the Batavia Muck Dogs for 19 games and batted 324 there and stole 20 bases between the two locations. Bradshaw also has a few stolen bases already on the season for the Clinton Lumber Kings and utilizing that speed had another hit in that win on Sunday so Bradshaw's average is up to over 250 now on the season in that brief sample size and that has come with two stolen bases as well. Lumber Kings will be back in action against the Cedar Rapids Colonels. They will then be hitting the road for a very important five-game series with the Burlington Bees. That's the single-A affiliate of the Los Angeles Angels. The Colonels are the single-A affiliate of the Minnesota Twins. The Bees series, five games because there will be a doubleheader on Sunday, June the 9th. And that will then come to an end the following day on the 10th of June. Lumber Kings will then meet the Peoria Chiefs for three from the 11th through the 13th. The Cedar Rapids Colonels for three from the 14th through the 16th. And that is it for the first half for the Clinton Lumber Kings here in the Midwest League. 
interesting to see the season kind of flying by now as the first half will be coming to an end for the All-Star break that starts here in the Midwest League on June the 17th, runs through the 19th. This year it'll be the South Bend Cubs hosting out in South Bend at Four Winds Field. They are the single affiliate, kind of obviously, of the Chicago Cubs. And so they'll be hosting it as the All-Star game will stay in the East. Last year it was out in Lansing. This is the part where we will shamelessly plug the broadcast side of things as we hope to see you out of the ball park at some point this season always looking for new faces but of course if you can't make it you can listen to all the lumber kings action on 100.3 fm wcci for those of you in the broadcast range for those of you outside of it no need to worry you can find us on the interwebs at lumberkings.com via the tune in radio app with yours truly on the call for all 139 games of the lumber kings 2019 season that's going to do it for episode number 10 of a ball want to thank everyone for listening to the guest tanner andrews for taking some time to talk with us and we hope to see you on the broadcast and also on the next episode of a Ball with Eric Ghost.